to Maranatha Christian Assembly Podcast, where we bring you the Word of God wherever you are. We pray that you be blessed by God's Word this week. A new sermon series on uh, on work. Okay, and the title of the sermon series is God at Work. Okay, God at Work. Uh, and uh, uh, this sermon series uh, will kick off with the first sermon called "Is Work a Necessary Evil?" Is work a necessary evil? How many of you agree that work is a necessary evil because you need it to draw an income to pay your bills? How many? Have uh, got some hands, uh, very honest, necessary evil, no choice, uh, you know. Uh, uh, you have to make yourself productive, you have to spend your time because there are bills to be paid, okay? If not, you get evicted, right? So work is like a necessary evil. Alright, and then uh, how many of you here, uh, you know, uh, don't really like your job? Have not? Don't have, uh? well, all love your job. Uh. Those who raise their hand just now should be the same hands, uh. no, uh? Or some hands don't really like your job. Okay, how many of you uh, like your job? I won't use the word love. I like, you know, like your job. Not bad. Uh, wow, wow. Some, many, many hands like, like your job. That's great. All right. Uh, and uh, next question. If you enter a lucky draw and then you won $10 million, uh, how many of you will still work one? You got $10 million in the bank. Uh? Wow. Well done, uh, those who raise up their hand. Uh. You'll still work one. $10 million. Okay, in the bank already. Well, still work. Okay, good, good. Okay, next question now. You must think carefully. Uh. If you got 10 million, would you stay in the same job? How many of you will stay in the same job? Wow! Wow, that means you really love your job. Uh. Even got 10 million, you will still be in the same job. Wow, praise God. Uh, you must have found your calling. Uh, you must have found a calling. According to an American poll, uh, they say that 6 in 10 uh, Americans would continue to work even if they won $10 million. 6 in 10. So quite high, huh? means people actually uh, desire to work. But at the same time, when they ask, uh, how many of you will remain in the same job? Only 35% say they will remain in the same job. Okay, means they actually don't really like their current job, but they want to continue working. Uh, but the, the polls also uh, revealed that actually 77% of Americans hate their jobs. That's quite high, right? Close to eight, seven to eight people out of ten actually hate their jobs. Uh, and in fact, recent stats have shown in the, uh, in the past 20 years that this number is going up. So more people are actually hating their jobs today than uh, 20 years ago. Uh, why is that so? Because it's getting more brutal, uh, huh? correct? Uh? Uh, out there in the world. And um, imagine you... Uh, they have to work longer hours, one person covering two person's job. Uh, and, and that's why the stats are showing this, this way. So for most of us, actually, if we work about 50 hours a week, okay, plus minus, uh, it is equivalent, uh, uh, let's say you work 50 hours from age 22, those who don't go NS, 22 to 65, okay, uh, like the females here, actually you have worked 120,000 hours. That's a lot, right? And then you will actually have worked 35% of your work, waking hours your whole life. 35% of your waking hours. And 45% uh, of your 
career uh, years, you have worked 45 hours. 45%. Okay, so that's a lot. And this 45% is not considering time that you spend, uh, you know, in your bed, whatsapping your boss. It doesn't include the, the traveling time. It doesn't include business trip. Okay, so 45% and more is actually a huge percentage of your most productive and your waking hours. Huge. Close to 50%. Uh, and, and your best years are given to your job. But the irony is most of the time uh, in churches, uh, we teach you a lot about prayer, you know, uh, reading the Bible, ministry. But we seldom uh, uh, equip you on actually how to, to do your work according to God's way. Uh, so it is, it is important because uh, if you don't do your work well, you have wasted more than 50% of your life and not representing God in the right way. And the harvest field is not in the church. Huh? The harvest field is in the workplace, in the marketplace, uh, which I cannot touch your friends because you are in your field. I cannot be there. So, uh, in fact, work itself is mentioned more than 800 times in the Bible. Much more than uh, singing, worship, uh, music ministry combined. So, work is actually a very big part of the Bible. And uh, Billy Graham said this. Uh, Billy Graham said this many years ago uh, before he died. He said, I believe one of the great moves of God is going to be through the believers in the workplace. Okay? Great move. Because that's where 99% of people are engaged in. They are engaged in lay, uh, in normal work, marketplace. No, less than 1% are becoming are pastors or clergy. So the harvest field is actually in the marketplace. And the great move of God is there. Not in the church, but out there. Uh, maybe some of you here are saying, hey, why go on a series of work? Ah? I'm a retiree already. Leh. Correct? Nah? Then some of you say, I'm a student. Lah. Why you talk about work? Then some say, I'm a homemaker. You know? Why talk about work? So how does this sermon series apply to me? So when we talk about work, are we just talking about paid work? Are we talking just about paid work? Uh, if it's talking about paid work, then the rest of you can... Uh, can go back already. So Timothy Keller actually defined work uh, very interestingly. I'm sure you have never heard of this definition of work. He defined it as this. Huh? He defined that work is rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. Wow. Sounds very nice, right? Very chim, right? Like some poetry... Okay, so, but if you look at this definition of work, have you ever thought of your work this way, uh, by the way? Never, right? How many of you have? Uh? It means you're there already, you're there already, okay? You don't need the sermon series, you're there already. Okay, so, so, uh, um, so you realize that Timothy Keller defined it not whether it's paid or unpaid. It's not, huh? As long as you're not in bed the whole day, uh, and you wake up and you do something, uh, you are doing work. You only sleep one, eight hours, right? The two-thirds of your life, you're doing something. And that is work. Why do I say that? Uh, even if you are a retiree, uh, do you rearrange raw material or not? Have, right? Because your great 
a grandchildren need to eat, you need to go to the market, buy some food, you know, raw material, right? You cook some nice food, then you let your grandchildren eat. Are you, are you doing, doing rearranging? Yes. Okay? How about student? Do you rearrange raw material? Nah? You say, no, le, A maths, nothing to do with raw material. Huh? Or your, your geography, or your history, chemistry, got nothing to do with raw No, 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 no. You are rearranging okay, the raw material of, uh, of knowledge. Okay? Such that you can understand it, and eventually, you can draw its full potential. Means uh, you can get an A, and hopefully, if you get an A or do well, what happened? Eventually, you hope that you become useful citizens, doing good work, not just to bless your family, but to bless the wider society. Okay, so are you are you doing work? Yes. Are you doing meaningful work? Yes. And you must see it. Uh, as not just paid or unpaid, but every person is engaging in this, whether we know it or not. Okay, right now you may be saying, I, I only work actually for myself. Not flourishing on everyone, I'm not so grand, I bless myself. I draw the salary for my... But what your work that you're doing is demanded by the society means it actually carries a value. That's why you're being paid. Okay, it actually bless somebody, whether you know it or not. Alright, so um, we realize a lot of times in our society, companies and individuals have defined work as what? Profit maximization. Right now. But that's not God's definition of work. God didn't create work so that profit maximization for the company, for the shareholders, for yourself. No, 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 no. He created work so that whatever you do brings value to yourself and to others. Okay, so you, you, you are bringing value to the world. And that is God's intention for work. Not selfish, but it is God's intention for the common good, to bless others. So today I'm going to talk about is work a necessary evil? Okay, uh, because we all know God cursed, uh, uh, cursed work, so to speak, okay, uh, as a punishment after the fall of Adam and Eve. Okay? So we're going to explore that today. Is it really God cursed work or He cursed something else? And work is really a necessary evil that uh, given a choice, work shouldn't exist. We should all have uh, 365 days of vacation. Okay, so we're going to look at that and we're going to explore it together. So I'm not going to give you the big idea, but we're going through this whole process of discovering whether work is really a necessary evil. First thing we see from the Bible is that God Himself is a worker. Okay, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So the Bible actually opens with God being a worker. Okay, so He created the heavens and the earth, the plants and animals by what? By speaking. Okay, so that's where the white collar people come in, right? You give a command and people do a work. But He's not just a white collar worker, he, uh, He's a blue collar worker. Why? Because on the sixth day when he created human beings, what did he do? He took dirt from the ground and created man. Okay? So whether you're blue collar or white collar, right, God has done it. He gets us. Okay? He, 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 he did both. He's a worker. God being a worker to us, ah, yeah, God worker, worker. No, no, but in the ancient Near East, means the Old Testament time, actually God being worker is a very radical idea because all the creation accounts uh, 
uh, in the Mesopotamian uh, era is actually a clash of, the creation account is always a clash of good and evil, and then creation happens. Okay, uh, in, the, in the ancient Near East, the gods themselves don't like to do work. They created human beings so that human beings can do the work for them. Okay, because work is dirty. Okay, so that's what they're thinking. And in the New Testament, the, uh, uh, the Greek philosophy, the Greek uh, thinking behind creation is that uh, there is a lot of food in abundance. So by right, gods and humans should enjoy the food. Okay, and uh, the highest form for a human being is to be a philosopher. Okay, that's why there's so many Greek philosophers during the Greek time because they all aspire to just think. All the manual work, right, is low class. Let the other people do. Okay, uh, and, and that's their concept of work. They rather not work. They like to think. They like to contemplate. So there's this uh, a person, uh, he said this, uh, this minister and uh, author, he, Philip Jensen, he said, if God came into the world, what would he be like? For the ancient Greeks, he would have been a philosopher king. Okay, he would have be, been a philosopher. The ancient Romans, they might have looked for a just and noble statesman. But how does the God of the Hebrews come into the world as a carpenter? So Jesus came as a person who worked with his hands, carpenter, woodman. That's like, oh, why did he come in such a form, such a lowly form, carpenter? Because we have a God who works with his hands. We have a God who is a worker. And you say, God works that time, but is he working today? Is God working today? Yes, he is still working because Jesus said, my father is working until now and I am working. Also, praise God. God is a worker. Next, uh, we see in the Bible that not only God is a worker, God actually enjoyed his work. Okay, and uh, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God saw everything he had made and behold, it was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. Okay, so why did why did God work? He didn't work because he needed to work. Huh? He don't need income to pay bills. Huh? He did it for the sure joy of it. And at the end of the six days of work, he actually reflected and enjoyed all that he has created. And he didn't just say it's good. He said it was very good. He loved what he has, he has done. Okay? He enjoyed it. So if God can enjoy work, God is worker, is work a necessary evil? Okay, is work a necessary evil? Can God engage in something that is evil? Thirdly, we see that God is a worker, God enjoys work, and God actually rested from His work on day seven. Okay, on day seven. The heavens and earth were finished and all the hosts of them, and on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day uh, from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So God rested. Not because he's tired like us. He rested to reflect on what he has created. He rested because he wanted to give us a model uh, of, of the need to rest and the need to contemplate. And it is interesting uh, that how come God didn't just work one day and rest six days? Uh? Have you thought of that? Hey, God is powerful. Uh? He can make it happen in one day. And then we, He rests six days, correct or not? 
How come he works six days and only rests one day? So the, in, in Eden, which is the ideal state of paradise, actually from the beginning, his intention is that paradise is not a vacation. Paradise is a vocation. Not a vacation, but a vocation. But how about, how about us today? What is paradise for us? What's the ambition of many people today? Work so hard, earn so much money, that at the age of 50, you can retire for the rest of your life. Correct or not? How many have this ambition? Don't have. Ah. Have. Lah. It's, it's mainstream. Okay? I cannot already because I don't have enough to retire at 50. Some of you maybe have. So there's a lot of the ambition of a lot of people. I want to retire at 50 or 55. But to God, that is not paradise. That's not how He has wired human beings to work one day and rest six days. It's not. Something will go wrong. That's not our wiring. So our modern day concept of paradise is very different from God's concept. God's concept is that the majority of our life need to be spent in a vocation, a meaningful creative work. And that is paradise. It's not to work seven days, but it's to work majority six days and you rest one day. So that's God's concept of paradise. If you try to change that wiring, you know what happened? If you try to play around with it, you know what happened? What, does, what happens to people who retire and then do nothing? Man? What normally happens to them? You got friends like that or not? Have, right? Very fast, ah, you often see ah, they will develop dementia. What else? Their health starts to break down. Because they wake up, they don't know. Is it Monday, Friday, Saturday? They don't know, no? Every day is the same. Groundhog Day. Oh, what am I supposed to do today? Eh? So their health deteriorate quite fast because they didn't manage to find any meaningful creative work. Okay, and, and sometimes it even leads to a fast death. Because you know? of all. So, so we, we see that we are wired for meaningful paid work and not for vacation because that is, that is the ideal state of paradise. It gives us meaning and purpose. And number four, from the very beginning, actually God assigned work to human beings. It's not a mistake. It's before the fall. It is when they were innocent, God has already given them work. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden and in the east, and he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to what? To work it and keep it. Okay, so the first thing God does intentionally is to assign human beings to work in the Garden of Eden. So work itself cannot be evil, uh, but it's something good and beneficial for human beings to be engaged in. You see, God can easily make the garden uh, such that it's self-producing. Okay, don't need to cultivate one. The thing just give fruits non-stop. Don't need to tend the garden one. It just, it's okay one. He could have done that, but he did not. Humans were needed to cultivate the garden in order for it to continue to produce good fruits. So work was intended for the good of humans before the fall of man. Next, you begin to realize uh, in Genesis chapter 1, 26, he says, God said, let us make man in our image like our likeness, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, 
over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. As you read this, you begin to realize that actually work and the image of God is very closely tied because it's one after another. So work is assigned to us because we are created in the image of God. So when God created male and female in the image of God, it's actually also a very radical description. Because in the ancient Near East, whenever there's creation account, only guys are mentioned. Because females are considered second class. Okay, so those who say that the Bible is sexist, they have to look at this. Male and female, they are created in the image of God. And when the Bible uses uh, this term image of God, in the ancient Near East, it means something else. In the ancient Near East, whenever somebody is caught carrying the image of God, it always refers to the kings, the pharaohs, the emperors, even the Chinese king. It's always a representative of God. It's never used to describe every human being. So it's a radical term, it's a kingly term that God has given to all human beings. And this word dominion is actually a kingly military term. Okay, it means to govern means to rule, uh, means to cultivate, uh, means to co-create. Okay, very powerful terms. So they are royal terms and we are supposed to co-create with God. Okay? So all these are supposed to be the job description of a king, of God. But he has given that job description to us, normal human beings. Have dominion. You are created in my image. You're supposed to steward the earth well. Take care of the animals. Take care of the garden. Bring it to its full potential, okay, and rule like a good king. Cultivate uh, the land. Make it flourish. Create civilization. Create culture. Uh, and and let, let the garden Eden flourish to the ends of the world. So that is, uh, in theological term, called the cultural mandate. Okay, cultural mandate means you're supposed to create culture of the land, of the society, uh, and it is a cultural mandate, not just the Great Commission is a mandate. In the Old Testament, it's a cultural mandate where we're supposed to steward the earth. But we've completely lost that. Okay, we only remember Great Commission. We do not remember that we're supposed to take care of the earth. So, uh, so that the, there's a flourishing, not just for ourselves, but the whole earth. Everyone will benefit. Okay? Uh, the common good, everyone benefits. So that is what it's supposed to be. So we are called to rule the earth. But today, today we are very scared, right? We are scared of what? AI. We are scared of robots. Why? We are scared that they take over our jobs. Correct or not? More and more, right? They are taking over our jobs. Or the bus also now, uh, you know, is uh, self-driving. So we are very afraid that they will take over our job. Then we, uh, there's a recent one called the Chat GPT. Uh. Have you heard of that? Okay, they can come out with any essay. They can come up with this sermon as well. Give me a sermon on work. Wow. Come on already. Okay, so uh, we are very afraid. Okay, but 
the truth is, actually robots and AI can never be royal co-creators. They can never. Okay, so for example, if let's say in the past, people were working in a factory as production operators. They were putting the cap on the toothpaste, for example. Do you know you're not created to do that routine work? Because a robot will definitely do better than you. And if you keep doing that, you lose yourself because we are created to have a creative uh, component to our life. We lose the creative spirit. Something dies in us. So don't worry. If anything that the robot can do better than you, actually you're not wired to do. Okay, you're not wired to do that. Okay, let them do. And the thing that differentiates us from AI or the robots, uh, I will call it the three Cs. Uh. Okay, three Cs. Uh, I didn't search anywhere. I just came. There are three Cs that will separate us, that will make us different from AI, that can never be replaced. The first C is creativity. Okay, creativity. It cannot be taken away from us. We are called to co-create uh, together with God. So robots cannot create anything. Uh. They just take whatever data out there, then they churn out something. Okay? So it's a mix and match. Uh, they are not truly original in that sense. So our research and development department uh, uh, will never be replaced because that's where they create something original. So in the same way, uh, a chat GBT can produce a sermon, okay, but it's not original. You will never have uh, my life experiences or the things that I want to create in a certain pattern. They cannot. You cannot. Because it is a creative process writing a sermon. Okay? So, don't worry. If you are creative and you think out of the box, there's always a value for you wherever job you are. Second thing that a computer or AI can never replace you, second C is connection. Welcome, welcome. We have our ukulele friends here. Welcome. Okay, second C is connection. So today, do you want a robot to read the sermon to you? No? no, right? Why? Because it can read the same thing, you know. Why? Because it's lacking the human connection. So in Japan, a lot of uh, lonely old people, right? What they try and do? They create robots so that the robot can accompany the old people in their own home. But is it going to be the same? No. There's no way it can be the same because they're looking for human connection. Uh, and and uh, we, we, we are created, Eve was created from the side of Adam. There's always a need to have a deeper human connection. And God breathed into human beings. Why? Because humans are always looking for a connection, the spiritual, with God. It can never be replaced uh, by AI or, for, or by robots. And the third thing that AI and robots can never replace is the third C, which is compassion. Compassion. So if you have a problem today, are you going to see an AI robot that tells you how to solve your problem? Or would you prefer to look for a human counsellor or human social worker? Second choice, right? goes without thinking. Uh, do, do you want uh, to employ a robot pastor that counsels you the word of God? No, right? There's no way. Because there's no compassion. So these three things um, is unique to us as royal co-creators. Okay, we represent God. Uh, and in every line of work, if you can do this three C well, right? Don't worry to, that you're our job. Okay, so don't worry. Some of you are worried. Okay, as long as you do these three things well, wherever you are, 
you have a place because you are representing God and you are a royal co-creator. Thirdly, we see um, at the very beginning, Adam and Eve had a perfect working relationship at work. What happened? Uh, we see in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Okay? So they had a, they had a boss. A boss, uh, okay? Who is not an absent boss. A boss who walk around. Hey, how? Any problem or not? Today in the garden, you know, you face any problem. So they can come to him anytime to talk to him. Okay? They had a perfect boss, approachable, very present. What else did they have? They had perfect human relationship. Because uh, the Lord God says, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Therefore, uh, uh, out of the, all the animals, he couldn't find anyone. So God said, I'll make a helper fit for him. And then he created Eve. And together, they will leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. They can become one flesh. And a man and wife will be both naked and not ashamed. Okay, so it, human relationship not just between husband and wife, but human relationship supposed to be Naked and unashamed means we're supposed to be able to tell each other everything. Okay, there's no blaming going on. We're supposed to be able to work well, help perfect for him. So we need one another and uh, we don't uh, hide from one another. They had a perfect working relationship at the very beginning, great harmony, no office politics. Okay, they had a perfect working relationship. Next, they had a perfect relationship with the ground, with the work environment. Okay. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. Okay, everything they planted grew up and produced the fruit that they want. Effectively, productively. There's no bugs. There's no disease. I, I went into like, uh, aquaponics and uh, gardening and uh, planting uh, a few years back, uh, two, three years back. Well, at first, I was very enthusiastic. Well, I bought all the equipment, the fish, blah, blah, blah. So it, it, it was successful for a while. And my wife also well, started loving plants, flowers, everything. Well, not cheap, no, I tell you. Huh? Not cheap, ah. For a season, ah, okay? Maybe about a year plus or that. We realized something. Eh? It's me, la, it's me. La. I don't have green thumb. La. My wife also don't have. La. After a while, eh? Sure got either bugs or disease one. Oh. I don't know why. Oh. Maybe you are better. Lah. See, oh, I go to your house, your plants all look very nice. Ah. Not mine. Ah. So after one and a half years, two years, right, I decided to give up. Already. I realized I cannot. Lah. Why? Because not productive eh, the thing. Well, I invest so much, but the thing not giving me the returns. Okay? Something is wrong. Okay? But at the be beginning, it was not like that. It was perfect. The ground was giving them whatever they need. Okay? Uh, so you say, oh, all this is great, you know, uh, wonderful at the beginning of Eden, but how about after the fall? After the fall, is, is, it works still a necessary evil. What, what happened? Is it, are you a commander? See, the mic don't work. Okay, are they still commanded to work after the fall? So we, we see after Adam and Eve fall and uh, Noah, Noah and his sons after the flood, we realize 
that God still commanded them to work there. Why? Huh? Very strange. If work is a necessary evil, they, they shouldn't be commanded to work anymore. I mean, it's just, it's cursed, right? Work is supposed to be cursed. How come still commanded to work? But we see here in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, God blessed Noah and his son and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the, on the ground and all the fish of the sea. In your hand they are to be delivered. Every moving thing that, move, that lives shall be food for you and I'll give you every, the green plants. I give you everything. So when you look at this, you realize, eh, after the fall, uh, they are still commanded to be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. What's the difference between this passage and the Genesis passage uh, in Genesis chapter 1? What's the difference? The only difference is that if you look at Genesis chapter 1 and 2, they are given green plants for food, never animals, because there was no death yet uh, in Genesis chapter 1. There was no need to kill the, the plants. Uh, death was not pronounced yet. So here, what happened is that the animals will be food for you, okay? But you're not doing it properly because they are fearful of you, the dread of you means what? It's already predicted, right, that human beings uh, will cause animal extinction because we're not going to do it, right? Okay, but they will be food for you. You need to go and hunt. So now you're not just a gardener. You're supposed to be a hunter. That's your job, to bring in food. Okay, so they are still commanded to work. They are still commanded, even though they have fallen, to be the royal co-creators with God, to cultivate the land, to be fruitful, to multiply uh, uh, royal co-creators, and to fill the earth and work. So we realize, hey, work itself is not, it's not abolished. Okay, work is neutral. It is good. So even after the fall, God didn't curse work per se. But what did God curse? What was the consequence of the fall? Then you must come back in my next sermon. So the environment surrounding work was cursed, but work itself is not cursed, it's neutral. It's something good. It's just that it's become more difficult, more challenging. Okay, so in my next sermon, I'll talk about why is it more challenging, how come it's more challenging, what do we do uh, when it's more challenging. So work is definitely not a necessary evil. It is a blessing, it is a gift that is given to man. It was God's original intention for human beings. And we are created to be royal co-creators, not to just bless ourselves, but to cause the flourishing of the entire earth. So what is our, what is our response? Our response is that we need to give thanks for God's gift of work. Okay? Maybe someone else, wow, I thought work, very. why give thanks? It's not so hard. Why work? It's so hard. How to give thanks? But we never realize that actually it's God's gift to us from the very beginning. And we need to give thanks. And Ecclesiastes, um, it says this. Uh, it says there's nothing better for a person that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toy, in his work. Because he says, this also I saw is from the hand of God. 
For apart from Him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? So work is a gift, work is a blessing. And uh, we give thanks for the job we have, give thanks for the ability and the health to work. Okay, so uh, we give thanks that we are, we are royal co-creators and work is not a necessary evil, but a gift from God. But then some of us here might be thinking, yeah, give thanks for my work. Ah. Hey, Pastor Alvin, you don't know ah, the work that I'm going through, you know. Correct, right, you don't know, you know. Uh, the suffering I am enduring uh, under my boss or uh, my colleagues. Uh, you don't know how to give thanks. Cannot come out of my mouth. Okay, I, uh, I do identify because uh, in my own work life, there are seasons of what I call wilderness and there are seasons of promised land. Okay, every one of us go through that, different seasons. Uh, and, and I remember in the wilderness period, sometimes you really cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel. Right now. Like, where is the light, ah? Uh? You know, like, God, I've been wandering in this desert uh, for 40 years already. When can I reach the promised land? Some of us feel like that. Me too. I went through different seasons. And it's so painful, right? Sometimes uh, you cry. Sometimes you wake up in the middle of the night praying to God. You know, God, where are you? What are you doing? We don't understand. Uh, and, and, and we're so desperate. We find, you know, go and find different things, explore different things. I... Just to be honest, I even tried to, uh, I ever thought to be a farmer, you know, really. That's why I went to this. Uh, oh, can I be a farmer? I realized cannot, uh. cannot. Cannot, So we try different things, you know. You know, I, I'm like a Jonah. You know, God called me this, but I'm always running. Uh, like, God, no, uh, let me run away. Okay, but God knows best. God knows what is good for us. And we go through seasons of wilderness and promised land. But at the end of the day, I just invite the worship team to come forward. But at the end of the day, we need to Trust God. That He knows what He's doing. Even in times of wilderness, God has purified a certain motives, certain calling in my own life. Certain way I deal with other people that is not right. God has used that to teach me or sharpen me to be a better Christ follower. Uh, and, and I give thanks to God for that. In good times and in bad times. And work can really take a beating out of us because it consumes so much of our energy. So this morning, no matter what you're going through, whether at this season of your life, you're going through a wilderness in your career, in your work, my exhortation and my encouragement to you is give thanks because God sees the bigger picture. And I assure you, your wilderness will not be forever. As you pray and as you seek God, God is bringing you through a process to make you a better person, to make you get ready for a season of that promised land that He's bringing you to. And we need to trust Him. In the time of waiting, it's painful, but we need to trust Him uh, that God will see us through. Hallelujah. We're going to Hallelujah. Begin to lift your work to the Lord wherever you are. Hallelujah, Lord. Begin to just surrender your work to God wherever you are. Indeed, God has placed you there for a purpose, for a season, O oh Lord. You're not just there by coincidence. You are there by divine calling, O oh Lord. The Lord has placed you there as sword and light. In the darkness that no one else can reach, but only you, O oh Lord. Hallelujah. Father, may you anoint my brothers and sisters here to be 
your representative, O oh Lord, wherever you have placed them. Father, I pray you anoint them as that royal co-creators in the space that you have divinely ordained for them. That it would be the flourishing of not just for themselves, but the flourishing of everyone around them, O oh Lord. Father, anoint them with that priestly anointing to carry your unction, to carry your love, your blessing into that arena, that domain that you have carved out for them, O oh Lord. Father, I want to pray, O oh Lord, that you use them mightily to be your messengers, to be your representative of the gospel, Lord, that when people see them, they see the image of God in their lives, O oh Lord. They see each of them as a representative of you, O oh Lord. Father, I also want to lift up those who are struggling in the areas of work. Just lift up your hands wherever. I want to pray for you, those who are struggling in the areas of work. You're experiencing a wilderness right now, wherever you are. Begin to just lift your hands and surrender your situation to God wherever you are. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Father, we give thanks for the gift of work, O Lord. That you have placed us wherever you have placed us, O Lord. But right now, we're experiencing wilderness, O Lord. Difficulty, challenges in our workplace that we don't understand, O Lord. Father, we are crying out to you. We are at a crossroad, O Lord. And Father, we are crying, where is the light? At the end of the tunnel, where are you leading us? But Father, even as we go through that waiting, Father, may that refiner's fire come upon us, O Lord. That we will not miss what you're teaching us. We will not miss what you're refining in us so that we can be more like you, O Lord. Father, anoint us right now, O Lord. Burn away anything that is not from you. Prepare us for the next season that you are going to provide for each one of us, O Lord. That you're bringing us to, O Lord. And we look to you, O Lord, because you'll never fail. You'll come on time in the right time, the right place, O Lord, so that we'll walk completely in your calling. We'll walk completely in what you want us to do. We obey even though it's painful, O Lord. So we surrender, we commit our workplaces to you, O Lord. Give us patience even as we wait upon you. Give us wisdom to navigate the situation, O Lord, so that we'll do things according to your ways and not our ways according to your timing and not our timing, O Lord. So we lift up, we surrender ourselves to you. We are your servants. Use us wherever we are. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this series. We hope that you are blessed. If you would like to go deeper with us, head over to our website at maranatha.sg for more information.